You are listening to the Innovators Behind Disruption, a podcast series brought to you by Evolve ETFs. The world is evolving. Your investments should too. Hi there, this is Raj Law, and I'm joined by John DeGuy. John is a portfolio manager at Wellington Altus Private Wealth, Inc. He's a certified financial planner, certified investment manager, and a fellow of the FPSC. He also enjoys a national reputation as an authority on professional, transparent financial advice in Canada. He's a 2017 recipient of the Donald J. Johnson Award, not to be confused with Donald J. Trump, (laughs) for (laughs) lifetime contribution to financial planning. He's also the author of the Professional Financial Advisor series of books. John, quite an impressive bio. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Raj. So why don't we get started? Why don't you uh, kick it off and talk to us a little bit about how you think that the role of the financial advisor here in Canada has evolved since you first started out in the financial services industry? Well, I'm dating myself. I started back in 1993, and I would say the the biggest change for me in my practice, but also for other advisors as they evolve, is that it's become a lot more holistic. Um, in the early years, a lot of inv- a lot of the role of the advisor was simply one of giving your RSP contribution and and you know divided into a, a handful of mutual funds and you know and and we're done. Call it a day. Now there's a lot more integrated wealth management, pension integration, projections, uh, when do we take CPP, uh, a whole number of those sorts of things, tax planning, setting up corporations. A lot of those things are part and parcel with advisors becoming more sophisticated and growing with their clients. But I would say the biggest change is just that the industry has become a lot more integrated and holistic instead of just being simple investing. And so what do you think have been some of the biggest changes to the wealth management industry over the past decade? And what are some of the things that you expect to see in the future? Well, obviously the introduction of ETFs is one of the major uh, changes of the industry. Now, that's a change that actually took place almost 20 years ago. But for the first eight or nine years, it was uh, a drop in the ocean. Uh, But ETFs in the past eight or ten years have become a a very important viable uh, option for retail investors and for institutional investors. And I think we can expect to see more of it in the future as well. The other thing that I'm seeing more of is I'm seeing more of people using offering memorandum products and specialty products and, and things that are perhaps a little bit off the beaten path. So that would be one of the other things that I would say is seems to be growing uh, going forward. So sticking on your practice for a moment, um, how has like the increased burden of uh, more compliance and operations affected uh, your business? <laughs> it's It has been a contributing factor to my moving to become a, a portfolio manager, which is to say acting with discretion on behalf of my clients. One of those changes that we talked about a moment ago that I didn't mention is um, advisors wishing to be fiduciaries and 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 and, and to be forced to put their client interests first. One of the other things, though, that has been evolving in the past little while is is the the, the traditional know your client obligation has been there for a very long time, but for the past little while, there's been more focus on know your product. And advisors are humans; we only have so much you know room in our brains to to know what we can remember about various products and their attributes and when one is more suitable than the other. And so one of the things that I've done is is I've moved to have a a smaller shelf space with relatively fewer products and knowing them relatively better uh, and and 
doing the trading on a discretionary basis on behalf of my clients. It'll, it allows me to have more control over the strategy and the implementation. So let's uh, let's stick on the topic of ETFs. Um, what do you credit the popularity or the rise of ETFs in, in our world today? Uh, and how are you actually utilizing specifically ETFs within your client portfolios? It's funny because um, a lot of people ask me to comment about why they're doing so well, and even though they are doing very well, <laughs> I actually lament that they're not doing better still. I, I actually think ETFs should have – right now they have about a 10% market share relative to mutual funds, so, so there's about you know $1 in ETFs for every $10 in mutual funds. It should be more like 1 to 5 by this point in my estimation. So even though we've come a long way, uh, I think we could go a whole lot further. The reason they've been growing is because they're – um, very, you know what you're getting when you buy them. When you buy a traditional actively managed mutual fund, the manager may be making trades that may or may not be consistent with the thesis that you thought he or she would be pursuing. Whereas with an ETF, uh, even if there's a, an active strategy, it's usually well defined. But certainly with regard to other things that are factor based or just, uh, just replicating, uh, data, just getting, getting the benchmark at a low cost. Um, you know what you're getting, and there's more control over the trading because you can do it during the day and so forth. The other thing that I would say, though, and this is this is the thing that the industry really doesn't come to terms with, it still hasn't come to terms with this, is that cost is such a major determinant of long-term performance. And ETFs are, on the whole, uh, typically anywhere from 25 to 125 basis points cheaper than an active strategy with a similar mandate uh, and a mutual fund strategy with a similar mandate holding advisor compensation constant at zero. And and that difference in cost can, can make a massive difference in your terminal wealth. You know, it, it, could, it could leave you with hundreds of thousands of dollars of additional assets to, uh, to, to spend in your lifestyle when you retire as a result of saving that difference in cost. So we have many different kinds of ETFs. Uh, in our world today, we have actively managed, we have smart beta, uh, and we have passive. How do you actually go about, from a process perspective, determining uh, which ones you're going to use within your practice? I confess that I have a bias for uh, traditional beta, low-cost uh, benchmark uh, uh, replication, and for factor-based investing. So uh, I would I generally look for products that do one of those two things, and I only use active products uh, in those instances where I cannot find a traditional beta or a, or a smart beta, which is really just industry code for factor-based investing product. And I would I would seek out those others first. And I use all three of them. Uh, full disclosure, I use all three strategies in my practice. But the third one, the, the traditional active strategy, is one that I only use when I can't find the others. I, I prefer not to use it, generally speaking. So let's talk about uh, trends. Let's talk about thematics uh, as well as socially uh, responsible uh, investing mm -hmm. mandates. Do you see that growing from an interest perspective with investors as a whole and with uh, with your client base as well? And I guess also, are there enough products right now in the Canadian space to meet those requests? I do see it growing. It has grown in the past little while. Part of it, I think, is that retail investors are finally almost being dragged, kicking and screaming into using SRI, socially responsible investments, uh, as a result of institutional investors maybe being on the cutting edge and using them. And, and I think there's been more acceptance among retail investors when they see how broadly ex uh, accepted they are by institutions. 
I think there will be more going forward, and I don't think there are enough right now. Uh, specifically, as, as, we, as I said a moment ago, um, I don't know that you could necessarily find a way to, to get SRI in a factor-based model, but right now most SRI products, pretty much all of them, are available only in an active strategy, and if you could find a way to get SRI more cheaply in a passive strategy, I think that would do very well in the marketplace. And what are some of the themes that you're gravitating towards these days? There's only one that I can think of above and beyond SRI. So I do use SRI and have been using it for maybe three or four years uh, already in Canada. The one that I've uh, I found another product that uh, is put out by uh, a company called Purpose, which in, which is involved in behavioral finance and, and behavioral economics and behavioral finance is the sort of thing which again is gaining some belated acceptance. Um, Danny Kahneman won the Nobel for his work in behavioral economics back in 2002, and about a year and a half ago in the autumn of 2017, Richard Thaler won uh, a Nobel for his work in the field, and I think it's Thaler's winning of the Nobel that has caused the world to sort of see that really it's one of the great unexplored um, sort of frontiers of finance is the role of investor behavior, and that includes advisor behavior in terms of making investment decisions. And I think that's a theme that will be much more prominent going forward. So sticking on the topic of ETFs and uh, client adoption, are you finding a correlation between, you know, uh, the age of the investor and their interest level in ETFs versus mutual funds? I'm not finding one personally. Uh, in my practice, my practice tends to be people that are usually in their 40s or older. I don't have a lot of, you know, people in their 20s or 30s. Uh, but within my practice, I would say that, um, and obviously I use the same products in the same proportion irrespective of, of, of client age, there might be a slightly, no, I'm not even sure about that. I was going to say that young people might understand it a little bit more intuitively, but uh, I don't know that that's necessarily true. I. I think the answer is no. I, I, I don't believe that I have uh, noticed anything that's materially different uh, depending on client age. Hmm. Okay. So what are your big predictions that you have over the next few years as it relates to the Canadian ETF industry? I think investors are finally, finally, slowly getting smart with regard to the role of, of cost. And, and as a result of that, they will begin to demand more of their advisors. And uh, I, I just recently put out a new book called Stand Up to the Financial Services Industry, and I, I drew attention to how advisors uh, need to answer some questions uh, that that their their clients might be asking of them in a forthcoming sort of manner and, and not presumptively, because right up until now, a lot of advisors have presumed to act as though cost is not that important. But the the big change for the ETF industry going forward is that as as all ETF providers, including Evolve, put out more information to help people understand how important cost is in in the in the decision making process regarding the products that you might be investing in, I think we're going to have more and more savvy investors demanding better, cheaper products for their their from their advisor. This is the only industry, I believe, in the entire world where the best products are cheaper. And anything else, if you're buying a car, if you're buying a computer, if you're buying a new suit, generally speaking, the more expensive products are the, are the, are the better ones. 
But when it comes to investment products, um, it's the opposite. Uh, the cheaper products are generally the um, the better products because you get what you don't pay for. And the less you pay for the product, the more you get in your return. And that is a sort of aha moment that is only just now beginning to occur in the in the brains of a lot of Canadian retail investors. And as that begins to sort of percolate and, and uh, gather some momentum, I can see a much bigger movement sort of led by investors to get advisors to actively recommend ETFs and other more cost-effective products in, in part of the uh, portfolio construction process. And, and John, while we're on the topic a, a little bit of your, of your book, you want to um, – I think this is the, the – the, you've written a couple of books now. What are the major themes that you're covering off in your latest – so once again, the uh, the book is called Stand, Stand Up to the Financial Services Industry, and I've I've actually put out a, a companion website, which is www.standup.today, to help people do the three things that I think they need to do. Number one, they need to uh, determine that they're going to do like they say in the, uh, the the one ad for there's an online brokerage firm that runs these ads with the hashtag Ask Tough Questions. They have investors need to be determined that they're going to walk into their advisor's office and hold them accountable for some of the questionable advice that they've been given up until now. The second thing is they actually have to ask have to know what questions to ask, and so the book actually gives. Uh, retail clients maybe 50 or so questions ranging from the general to the specific. You're not going to ask all 50, but you can decide, you know, which ones you want to know and probably do do a quick uh, survey by asking five or six of the questions that you think are the most important for you and, and hold your advisor accountable with the third step, which is you uh, even when you know what the questions are, well, what are the answers? And the problem that we've had up until now is that most retail investors are are just they, they take whatever they're told as at face value, thinking that it's correct from their advisor, and um, a lot of the things that advisors say are are false. They're unwittingly false. Advisors believe them to be true, but they're demonstrably false. So the fact that advisors have these misguided beliefs, we, we, we have a real challenge here. So what I've done is I've actually told people what answers they should be looking for to hold their advisor accountable. And I've actually on the website at standup.today given them some resources so that it's, you know, don't just take John DeGuy's word for it. You can go and, and read how, how cost is important and how performance doesn't persist and can't be relied upon and, and so forth. And it's all right there so that when the advisor tries to suggest that these things are not true, the investor can actually, you know, take, I actually have links to the actual reports. You can read them yourself, but you can print them out and give them to your advisor and say, actually, sir, that's not true. And the, at the end of the day, the the biggest, the, the the most the sincerest apology has changed behavior. And what we're trying to do, certainly what I'm trying to do with the book, is I'm trying to get to empower investors, ordinary consumers, to hold their advisor accountable to change the way they give advice. And and if an advisor says it's an honest mistake, I I, I didn't realize I was doing it improperly. Um, I think you should forgive the advisor and, and just do things properly going forward. But my experience up until now is that most advisors have been steadfast and they've been digging in their heels and doubling down on saying things that are demonstrably untrue. And when you as an investor um, come across that kind of an advisor, uh, if you can't get your advisor to change the way he or she gives advice to you and what he or she says, the most rational thing to do at that point is to is to switch advisors. No one's going to care more about your money than you as an investor. And the problem that I've been seeing right now is that up until now, too many investors have been taking 
questionable advice from advisors who don't even realize they're doing things improperly and accepting it at face value, and it's costing them always, almost always tens of thousands of dollars and frequently hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of their investing lifetime as a result of these questionable, presumptive things that advisors believe that are not true. So when you're sitting across from a prospect, is there a pattern? Like, are you sitting across mainly from prospects that have an advisor that are considering making a move? Or how often are you actually sitting across from somebody that doesn't have an advisor and is using a discount broker, for example, to take to manage their portfolio? Uh, it's almost always me sitting across from someone who um, uh, already has an advisor, or if they don't have an advisor, it's because they just sold a house or inherited some money and, and they never had an advisor before and they you know, always knew they would have needed one if they would have had any money to invest, but they didn't have money until very recently. It's very rare for – I think the market segments itself very well, so my, my view is that those people who work on a self-directed basis are probably correct in doing so. And those people who work with advisors are also probably correct in doing so. I think I think most people are pretty good at self-assessing whether they can do it themselves. Where people are not as good at self-assessing and where the new book, Stand Up, actually comes in is to help consumers determine whether or not the advice they're getting is, in fact, as, as good as it could be. So basically doing an audit and doing an accountability session with your advisor. Got it. Well, thanks a lot for your time today, John. That was insightful. And I uh, wish you Great. well with your practice. Thank you so much. All the best, Brian. Thank you for listening to the Evolve ETFs podcast. If you like this podcast, please like this post. Subscribe to this channel by clicking on the subscribe button. Ensure to sign up for our newsletter by visiting our website, EvolveETFs.com. You have been listening to the Innovators Behind Disruption, a podcast series brought to you by Evolve ETFs. Remain educated. Be informed. Sign up for our newsletter and learn more at EvolveETFs.com.